Oh, I am wearing the shirt that you got me. Oh, oh gave me last I time didn't I even was see there. it. Yeah, I um, I actually I have had more people recognizing me wearing this shirt than I think any other shirt that I wear. I ran into a guy at like a mm-hmm. Sally's Beauty, like picking up hair dye. And he was like, <laughs> hey, I like your shirt. Like it's always, it's never at a kink event. It's always at like a beauty salon or like a grocery store too. It's very wholesome. Oh, with a capital H. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is that a shirt yet? <laughs> writing oh, it down, writing it down, writing it. No. <laughs> the awkward, like, where do I start? Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, I yeah. start here. Evie, how are you today? <laughs> hi, hi. I'm sorry. I thought we were doing the intro like first. And so, hi, I'm doing really well. Uh, I am feeling so amazing after like having a weekend of getting to do some actual kink activities and get back into my local community. And so I feel just like extra jazzed up to talk about kink and education online because that's still very much a thing. So yeah, thanks for asking. Well, of course. And we'll see how long that happens. But first, Evie, what's your safe word? Uh, fluffy. Welcome back to What's Your Safe Word. I'm Amp. And today we have the lovely, always informed and educated Evie Lupine on the show today. Evie, thank you so much again for coming on today. I know I've already asked how you're doing, but how about... uh, what are you doing nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing nowadays? Good question. Um, so definitely still dealing with like some residual COVID lockdown over here, but uh, getting back into my local community again, volunteering for events. Uh, I just taught at the Southeast uh, Leather. Well, it's actually not called that now. It's called Mayhem itself is the abbreviation for it. And they just did a conference over the weekend that I taught there. I'm going to be doing Leather Rain this coming weekend, doing some stuff in my local community for classes and for dungeon parties and everything else. So definitely a lot kind of coming back online now, staying busy. So yeah, thanks for asking. Of course. And I totally feel that considering we just had three weeks of travel ourselves, all kink related. I, I just want, I just want to sleep in on a Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But for anyone that doesn't know who Evie is, um, Evie is also, and I think, did you first come from YouTube? Because you, you're on every platform, as many of mm. us are, as far as education. But the first place that I ran into you was on the YouTube sex educator realm of mm. YouTube, which we'll be getting and diving into, considering I think this episode will be like called Not Advertiser Friendly or something, something appropriate and topical in that regard, because you and I both teach sex education in an approachable accessible, easy to digest sort of way. But I would love if you gave me kind of your your elevator speech that you give people whenever they ask, what do you do? Yeah, so I actually first got started on Instagram, which is a very sort of interesting way oh. to get into kink. That wasn't where I found kink, but it was where I started as an educator. And I noticed in that space, there weren't a lot of people um, that had access to like a local dungeon or knew where to find resources for things. It was sort of like people trying to figure out on their own, like how to do pet play, how to do ABDL, like what's going on here. And so that's how I got started is trying to help people in my own sort of peer group navigate kink. And then from there, I expanded into doing uh, YouTube. Now I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitch, Evie Lupin and all those places. And uh, what I really try to focus on is Uh, The intersections of being an asexual submissive woman that also does uh, BDSM and helping people explore who they are in a really honest and authentic way in a way that I think 
we are not often encouraged by society uh, to do. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a way that YouTube also like doesn't encourage us to do either. Yeah. Uh, but we will talk about that. Now, hold on a dang minute, because before we get into the titillating topics of today's podcast with Evie, I do want to say one last thing. Do you like savings or do you like shavings? Especially with Black Friday coming up and the holidays right around the corner. This holiday season, we are giving our thanks to Manscaped, today's sponsor of the episode. And honestly, what better gift to get your family than something to trim all the hair everywhere? So while you're getting that perfect performance package 4.0, keep in mind that does not just include the Lawnmower 4.0, one of our favorite trimmers, but also includes their deodorants, their moisturizers, the crop preserver, as well as the weed whacker. So if you think the holiday spread is good, wait till you get into the bedroom later on with your significant other and use that manscape to make sure that you're all cleaned and cropped in the best possible ways because you don't want to carve the downstairs like that turkey. Instead, you should trim it with those ceramic blades over 9,000 RPM motors, the nice little LED light, as well as that very handy on off switch for travel purposes when you're getting through that security you don't you don't want your turkey to be <laughs> waddling around and hairy <laughs> and to seal the deal this holiday season they're also going to give you two free gifts in your perfect performance package which includes those boxers and that travel shed so get your own manscape package look into their new body wash 2.0 get a lawnmower 4.0 or just just, just get your, to get the nail, a nail kit. They got really good. Like, if you're look, looking to get cute, they got a good cuticle set too. So check out manscaped.com and use offer code Watts twenty for twenty percent off your own deal, free shipping, and your balls will thank you. Now back to the education. I would never even, I would never even thought to use Instagram as a place to like educate in that way. I mean, I guess we kind of mm. do that just with like the posts of things that we do. We're always at events and we post things, we post the silly like videos and stories, but I've always found YouTube to be a good longer form place to, to educate. Mm. Um, of course, until more recent like years, especially for the content that we, that we talk about because sex educators, like you've been on our show, I've been on your show. We've, we've talked about kink for years on end and it's only been like maybe the last, I don't know, five, six years that it's really continued to get harder and harder on the platform. And we've been there for almost seven, maybe even eight at this point. How many, how many years have you been on YouTube? Oh, I just looked the other day too. Cause I, I remade a video that I made four years ago. And at that point I had been making videos for at least two years. So I think probably between six and seven. Oh my God. Revisit. Oh, don't. Yeah. Daddy Christopher's like, we need to revisit a bunch of episodes. And I'm just like, but, but why? And also how? And also I, I guess, cause some of them are like, even looking at like our productions and setups now, like are probably mm -hmm. much different than what they used to be, which was like a very badly lit room with a tiny little like video camera that didn't even have a flip cam. Like that's how we started. So yeah, yeah. no, I actually started, I filmed on my laptop. I had a webcam Whoa. that I plugged into my laptop and then I'd rest the laptop on like a table or a chair or something and sit in front of it, which is good. Cause it's basically like having a really giant built-in monitor on your laptop, which is convenient. But if anything moved in my entire apartment complex, like it would shake. So yeah, I actually, if you want a legitimate idea for revisiting content, 
doing like reaction videos and like reacting to your younger self and like looking at like little baby pup amp and and Ugh. like the video quality it could be cringy it could be cute people like that right i hate it already but yes <laughs> <laughs> i am a sadist so <laughs> maybe for that reason i'm suggesting it i don't know how long it took you but like as far as like content creation um mm. and, and streaming like hearing your own voice it took forever to get past that for editing. So like, I, I can't imagine going back and not only having to hear my own voice, but hear my own voice before I learned how to talk to a camera is, mm. uh, anyway, that is not yeah, why people are on. here. <laughs> Evie, I wanted to have you on today just to have a conversation specifically around content, but also specifically around how we produce, create, and try to just exist on platforms. Mm. Um, as sex educators ourselves, like we're always talking about topics that people would contextually see as inappropriate or not advertiser friendly or demonetized or, you know, breaking TOS with tons of different terms, depending on the platform that you're looking at. But, um, I know for me when the first couple adpocalypses came around on YouTube, which is when advertisers started actually asking like, you know, what's my, what is my advertising money going in front of, you know, is mm. this appropriate quote unquote based on like, my puritanical views possibly. Um, so maybe we start there and we kind of talk about like, why did you start creating? What inspired you? And then we'll get into kind of how censorship drove or continues to affect what we do. Yeah. So when I started on YouTube, a lot of the very first content I made wasn't even educational directly. I sort of got into that like probably a month or two after I started making YouTube videos. Originally I was doing like gear reviews, like helping people find like equipment for pet play, for example. And then through doing that, I had a lot of people ask me about like, Hey, so like what sort of scenes should I do if I want to try pet play? How do I tell my boyfriend I want to do this? Like answering those kinds of questions. And that's the avenue that I got into originally. And then from there, I started taking more classes locally. I read every book I could find about BDSM. Tons of really good ones you can get on eBooks, by the way, if you want to read discreetly, if you don't want to have hard uh, cover books around that your relatives can go, hey, what's that about? But <laughs> in any case, that's where I really got started. And then I just kept doing more educational videos as I learned more. So especially in the beginning, it was very much a reflection of my own personal journey in kink and telling people about like, wow, I took this class this weekend and I learned this whole thing of, called like power exchange. Like, let me tell you about it. It's so amazing. Uh, and I actually, when I started doing YouTube, I probably, maybe you were the same way. It was really just a hobby. I didn't think it could be a job. I had just graduated college. Actually, I started YouTube before I graduated like my very final year of university. And then after I graduated, got a regular full-time job. I just thought, oh, I'll do this on the side, you know, for fun. And then eventually it did end up becoming my full-time job. Yeah. Well, actually, and I, I've mentioned it maybe before, like the first YouTube channel that I created with friends is actually a gaming channel. Mm. Um, we had called it like two guys, one up because <laughs> it was a, it was a play on the two girls, one cup. And we were still like very sex positive, but we were playing video games and being silly. Yeah. Um, it never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Maybe gaming good. channels. Everyone, everyone was doing gaming channels back then. Um, yeah. but then similar, it was a hobby that I just spent a lot of time on. Um, and I, I, I do think it's interesting because the way you talk about your topics, which I think I came from the same place of like, I made a lot of mistakes starting out because there was nothing to, to teach me. So like yeah. the, the stuff I created with friends back then was what I wish I had had 
when I was first becoming sexually active as a mm. queer, gay, uh, very kinky. And I knew it at that time, you know, teen coming out of college, like I wanted resources, but there wasn't, mm. there were books, sure. But the books were all either not topical yet. And they were kind of, you know, from the generations past or oh, yeah. I didn't feel myself represented in them still. Like I, I had like the Davy Wavies and even did, Lindsay Doe was doing stuff back then, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. but there was nothing gay and kinky or just kinky in general because you and I hadn't come along and other channels yeah. weren't big enough that I'd found them yet. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my intro as well. And then of course it, it did take off kind of where it became more full time, but um mm -hmm. The way we both approach our content is very different too, which which I really like. Like <laughs> yours, I feel like I'm sitting down to a very instructional but informational, like just chat that you're having with people using your own experiences. Where mm -hmm. mine, I try to make informational and educational, but are generally very chaotic as well um, because yeah. <laughs> that is the nature of my my comedy. Um, and I'm curious, like how you formed that voice as well. Oh, that's so interesting. So I do also, I just want to echo, I love that our content kind of goes into similar territories, but is also really different because I want people to have multiple different resources they can go to because even if something speaks to them, maybe a partner, a boyfriend, a friend they have that wants to learn about this is like not down for me sitting and rambling for 35 minutes about what figging is and would prefer to watch <laughs> like a silly video um, that is also educational, but does have that more like comedic focus first. But uh, I was always very much into writing. I find writing to be very easy. That was like my special skill when I was in school. Like I had so many classes where I'd write 10 page, 12 page, 20 page papers. And I could do that shit in like two, three days probably. And so when I started working on YouTube more and treating it more like a job, I found that I wanted to do things that were more researched and scripted and were delivered in that way where not exactly in like what I would call like a video essay format, but is sort of in that wheelhouse of very uh like direct and is very clearly outlined and is like trying to get through all of the points because that's how I learn really well like I want to know all those little questions about like why are people into this how can you actually do this in real life how do you get started with it and it was also I think a bit of a feedback loop with my audience as well like what they wanted to see and of course you always get those people that are like this video is over five minutes long you should make it shorter and they don't want to watch anything that's like longer than five minutes which is fine but obviously that's not me but for the most yeah. part I was also dealing with people who were saying hey I want to know about this I want to know about that and so I just started started to incorporate those additional questions like proactively and answering them in my content as I made more videos. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I wouldn't say that your stuff is a video essay, but it, it is very video essay-y in, in such a way mm -hmm. that it's well-written and you've clearly scripted at least some of it and then you tangent where it feels appropriate. Whereas like yeah. my my outlines are generally very bullet pointy and if there's mm -hmm. going to be a joke, I'll write that in there. But like my partner, daddy, Christopher, doesn't memorize well. <laughs> so we don't script because it really detracts from what we do. Um, yeah. But that when you, oh, what do you, you just said something about someone like complaining about length. We actually had someone once that was like, you guys produce too much content and it's all too long. I'm unsubscribing. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> bye. I don't, I don't know what you like. I feel like I don't produce enough content consistently enough, but like there's some people out there that you, you create too much shit and apparently it bothers them. 
Yeah, they're like, stop clocking up my my subscription feed. And I'm like, okay, totally. well, I'm glad you're actually getting videos in your sub feed from me because that right. tends to be a problem. I have people that do that with specific topics. Like I do updates with like the Marilyn Manson case. And that's like something I'm very passionate about covering because he has used BDSM as a shield to sort of excuse some of his behavior or people have done that on his behalf. And I do not like people using BDSM as a veil for abuse. And I get people, it doesn't matter if I made the last video eight weeks ago, I still get people who are like, you make too many videos about this subject, go back to talking about BDSM. And I'm like, if you don't see that, like talking about how to recognize abuse is important to BDSM and having a supportive BDSM community that like maybe my channel isn't right for you because it is something that I care a lot about. Absolutely. Well, and, and you do good. Like I, I remember the ones that I really, really enjoyed was like you talking about bonding and like updating on that show, because mm -hmm. I think we both agree that like it wasn't perfect, but like it does some things well, but it was still like, uh, you're in the, you're in this day and age of like pop culture and kink. Like, come on. I want, I want just a little better. Um, yeah. but then also like pop culture updates like that are, are super informative and, and hard to produce personally from yeah. like just as a, one creator to another. But in that, like, I'm sure a, a topic like that case in point to today's episode is heavily censored. It's yeah. sensational. You even use the word abuse, which I'm not sure like how you even talk about that kind of topic. And not say the word abuse, which probably mm. triggers everything on like a platform like YouTube. Like how, yeah. how do you produce knowing that the content that you're talking about, there's so many red flags and everything you're doing, even though you're doing it from a place of love, information, education, and helping people. Mm. Well, I am also someone that consumes a lot of YouTube content. I, my sort of soap opera stuff is I like watching T channels and I like watching people that talk about the sort of current YouTube drama. And even that goes into some pretty uh, censorable areas. And I listen to other people that are trying so hard to get that green dollar sign on their mm -hmm. videos and are having to censor everything. But then I've also heard people say you can't use the censor noise because that'll also set off the censorship alarms because now they know you've censored a word. Oh, we should also talk about how they censor uh, captions because I have I have a very personal thing about how they do that if you haven't like noticed that before is like a pet peeve for me on YouTube censorship policies. But um, I just sort of decide I'm going to bite the bullet. I don't get my primary income from YouTube because it's so unsustainable. I just accept, okay, this video is going to get a yellow, yellow dollar sign on it. I'm not going to make any ad money off of it, but I would rather pro uh, I would rather portray things accurately and say what things are by the name that they should be called versus like, trying to find cutesy little words to not say like certain phrases or describe certain crimes, for example, particularly with the Marilyn Manson stuff. Uh, but it is really hard because I know there are certain areas of kink where I'm like, people should know about this and they should know what it is. Or on my videos about asexuality, even where I talk about that, those get yellow dollar signed all the time. I don't even know what for, just because I think I said the word asexual. I think just, just because sexual is in the word, it's like, oh, don't say that. And like, you know, I can either try my best to come up with code words and just provide a list to my audience every single time and make a video, or I can tell it like it is. And I, I am, am tending to go more towards that telling it like it is route for the time being, of course, if they start acting in more extreme ways that may change. Well, and it leads us to another part of the conversation, which is like algorithms and censorship. Like 
I, I've seen people do the the Google Doc list of like, if I say this word, it actually means this word in their descriptions or they'll like mm -hmm. form their own like form of language. I don't have the time for that. You know, like I barely have time to get the video up, socialize it and then get back to, you know, writing the next thing. Mm. But like and I'm sure you've experienced this, like the way in which censorship drives how you write something and how you produce it is frustrating sometimes, especially with mm. a platform specifically like YouTube, where you and I, I that is my largest platform, I think. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's one of yours as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like not producing content wholeheartedly and and as transparent transparency transparently wow i can't even say the word um is important to us I, I, but it is the way in which and i'm sure you go through this as well like every month i'll just kind of scrub through my list of you know almost 300 videos probably and make sure like none of them have changed dollar signs or I don't need to ask for them to manually review it again. Because like just yeah. last week I went through my library and magically there was like 20 new videos that had gotten demonetized again. Videos that I had to like Google, like Google through my email and be like, was this manually reviewed? And of course it was. Of course a human yeah. went through and said it was good to go. And now I have to do the extra work of like finding those dollar signs again and having agnosium like conversations with the email help people who say well your video actually broke the rules in sex and nudity i'm like well of course because sex but why and they say well it could be cookie cutter reason a b c d e or f i can't tell you which one of those it was but oh uh sorry cutters. i wanted to cut you off uh the lights are flickering in my house uh -oh. right now so I heard from one of my partners that their lights were flickering earlier today. I'm really hoping the power doesn't go out. But if I suddenly disconnect, it's because oh, no. the universe YouTube has like, taken control of your internet. They're like, they're like, you've gone too far. They're like, you're talking about <laughs> manual reviews. Don't let all our secrets out. <laughs> but I actually, so that's interesting. You bring up the manual review feature because I, I don't do that that often. I never monetize my videos actually for a really long time. Um, for the first until. Year, until like probably the first four years, I just had a policy where like I because uh, I'm sure you've experienced this, like even when you do get ads on videos, oftentimes it's for stuff that is totally unrelated to your content or really inappropriate. Like here's how to, you know, here's a thing for taking your kid to gay conversion therapy camp or whatever. It's like, I don't want that playing yeah. in my video where I'm talking about like navigating asexuality, like why would I want that? So I decided eventually to have ads turned on when YouTube decided they were going to start playing their own ads on videos, regardless of your own monetization settings mm -hmm. and whether or not you wanted ads. And so I was like, okay, well, if they're going to be making money off of my videos, I might as well get, you know, a 30% slice of the pie or whatever. And so I went through and manually picked which videos I wanted to be monetized, like ones that were still getting a fair amount of views on a regular basis, enough to bring in more than like, you know, two cents a month or something. And of course, I'm sure our CPMs are just awful compared to most other content creators as a result. But uh, I have noticed the thing I run into a lot is I will I upload my videos pretty far in advance. So I have time to check them and uh, make sure everything's going to be OK. And I'll have green dollar signs before it goes live. And then when it goes live, it'll change it to a yellow, yellow dollar sign. Yep. I'm like, how I've had this uploaded on my channel for two weeks. Like what happened? when it went live that you didn't like all of a sudden. And that part is confusing to me. 
Well, so I'll, I'll one up you not to, not to like mine is more demonetized than, you know, so uh, I yeah, had a video sure. that had a sponsor as, mm. as you do, you know, and so you have to have a sponsor approve it. And sometimes there's changes, totally valid, totally fine. I miss it speak sometimes. And I had this one video that they wanted two updates and I was like, it's all good. We got time. So I uploaded the pretty much the same video minus, you know, a screenshot of a website or me saying a proper line from the ad read. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know, four versions of this video on the website and I had to have all of them manually reviewed because it was a sex education video. And eventually all of them come back with green dollar signs and I do them one at a time, you know, cause we're doing mm -hmm. edits of the video and I'm just like, I'd love to see this, you know, have this case study of just having the same video up multiple times. All of them are fully monetized. They're green. They've had humans look at it. The humans say, you're good to go. You're within the guidelines. And then a week after the video goes live, it stays green for a week. A week after mm -hmm. it gets dinged again. And I recheck my emails. I'm like, no, I have an email that says a human looked at this and said it was good to go. So I, I ask help, you know, for help on YouTube. And mm -hmm. they're confused. And like, I just, I literally just got an update on it here before the podcast, which is funny. So this is breaking news. And they said, well, the, the yellow dollar sign has to stay because that's, that, that's how the guidelines work. To which I just responded, so what about the three other versions of this video that are all still green? and haven't been dinged, I really need like a, some updates there. And they were pretty quick and they're like, I'm sorry, I can't elaborate on that. That's not like, that's against our guidelines and rules. And I'm just like, I don't understand. It's <laughs> so like, that's, that's what we go through on a weekly basis, daily yeah. basis, as far as censorship. But uh, it's gotten to the point where like, and if this is too deep, like by all means we can pass by it. But like, does mm -hmm. that affect how you create or even your own like mental health around being a content creator? Uh, it is stressful in the way that I look at it is like a sign of something that could be worse down the road. Like mm -hmm. the individual monetization, I don't always worry about because I, I kind of have a sense of what will, what won't. Like my videos in Marilyn Manson are pretty much always going to get demonetized. My videos on asexuality are oftentimes good. A lot of my BDSM 101 sex, uh, a lot of my BDSM 101 videos, for some reason, the algorithm has really liked recently and has decided mm. to keep them green dollar signs, even when I talk about like bestiality in them. <laughs> like, as okay. I had a video I did recently on like dark pet play and how it's like not bestiality. And I like, I said the word bestiality like four times in there. Sure. Uh, so I was like assuming they were going to just tank it. And they were like, no, we like this. This is good content. And I'm like, I don't know what anything means anymore. So, okay fine, whatever. Um, but it does affect me in the sense that like, I worry about content that is okay now that will not be okay in the future because YouTube mm. has no problem retroactively deciding something you did five years ago is now worth getting a channel strike over. And so sure. I do try to keep in mind like what I'm doing and how that could affect my future channel. And I have a lot of people that do want more visual aspects of my videos like they like having either examples or pictures or something and sometimes I don't have images I can share in a subject but I oftentimes choose not to even if I think it would enhance the video either because of copyright reasons or because I'm like you know YouTube is probably technically okay with somebody doing a flogging over clothing now but how is this going to be affected by guideline changes that happen in three years when I completely forget I did this particular video and it has that particular segment in it enough for me to be able to go, oh yeah, I should 
you know, delete that segment from the video before this change goes live. Like, I don't want to have to depend on being able to edit my content that I did years and years ago and edit hundreds of videos to go with oh. every future content update. And that's, that's mostly how it changes how I plan things. No, well, I, I feel that like I get frustrated on the, the weekly just by like, I just want to, I just want to be a responsible content creator on your platform. I just want to, yeah, I want to educate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm not one of those quote unquote bad actors you keep talking about in your guideline videos. Like I'm literally trying to do my damn thing out here to help people. Like that's like, I would like to get paid so that I'm able to pay my bills and continue doing this, but I'm not out here to game a system. I'm out here to do my job, which in my, my own mind, as I'm sure yours, is like help people realize what they're into, who they are, their identities, yeah. give them some representation because that's important. But then you have like that last video, the four videos that all got monetizer friendly. Eventually within one of the emails, they're like, well, at 14 minutes and 20 seconds, that that content there is inappropriate. And so I said, if I cut that out, are we good then? Well, the YouTuber comes person comes back. Not necessarily. And I can't help you with that further. And I'm just like, where was, but if you, why didn't you just tell me that at the beginning when you manually reviewed it would have been happy probably to cut out whatever was said that was inappropriate, whether it was an F bomb or I mentioned I was gay. Like if that's the problem, I'll take it out. doesn't change mm -hmm. the educational parts, but that's just, it's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like brings up a, a conversation that I kind of want to have a video on in the future, but I'm not even sure if I can, which is mm. the, what, what we were kind of chatting about before. This is the show me debate. And I've seen it yeah. mentioned on Hannah Witten's channel. If you know who mm -hmm. Hannah Witten is, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. When she was doing a, a mold of her, of her downstairs, I, I can say vagina on fucking podcast. Yeah. Jesus. Vagina. See, and that, that, look at it's working. Cause I don't yeah. even want to say the word vagina. Um, and then uh, Lindsay Doe kind of followed up and used that video as an example because she as well wants to do videos where she shows things rather than tells like, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. So mm -hmm. the show me debate is like that debate of when do you show something versus just talk about it? And when does showing it actually instill a better form of education? Like for instance, Lindsay wanted to talk about fingering and do a video on fingering because and I can't speak personally for fingering because mm -hmm. I don't do it tons myself. Um, mm -hmm. But she wants to be able to show the different anatomy of the vagina and how it affects different people. And like, how do you talk about that when you could show it? And there's this, this, this ongoing debate of like, what is ethical? And of course we mm -hmm. should have that conversation. But even having that conversation immediately is probably inappropriate on some platforms, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's something I, I definitely watch, Hannah. I've also watched explanations Lindsay Doe since the very first video that she ever made and I remember she would draw stuff on whiteboards a lot especially in the beginning or use anatomically correct models which I'm sure you could do for fingering because there's all kinds of models you can get for even demonstrating how to put on a condom how to insert a tampon like normal questions you would have at like a doctor's office when you're a teenager and you're like um so my mom can't tell me how to put in a tampon because she's never used one before like can you show me how to use one? Right. And it's like, you have to have a way to explain how to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is very much, I think it depends on the kind of content you're making. Cause yeah, I think for fingering, it's like, you can describe it in the abstract, but then everyone's anatomy is different. And that's like a big factor when you're doing any kind of activity like that is yeah. seeing what it actually is like on different bodies and using models for that, uh, where appropriate. 
And especially when it's somebody like Lindsay Doe, who is a professional in this field, like you think YouTube would have some kind of like sign somewhere in the office that says like, this person is a professional, like allow this content. And that doesn't seem to always make a difference. But for my own content, I've sort of decided that I try to stick to subjects where I go about it in a way where it's a descriptive introduction. And if you want more of a demonstration format, either linking or used to be able to link to places yeah, get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be able to link to places where you could go for that more direct instructional information and seeing what it's like to do. Because I think, um, and I'm definitely not actually educated to be an educator in the sense I didn't go to school to be a teacher, but there is sort of a progress of learning steps where that initial talking phase and describing and talking about it theoretically, the next step after that is like usually either observing something or trying it for yourself. And it seems like there is kind of this wall that YouTube puts up where it only wants you to go this far in education. And if you try to go to that next step of education with actually seeing things or demonstrating things, they're like inappropriate, red flag, don't do this. And obviously, especially with COVID, a lot of people haven't had that opportunity to get to that second phase of their education. Whereas maybe they could go to a dungeon before or they could see something online and that just isn't available in the way that it used to be in a lot of places. Yeah. Well, and and to that, like, I know that there have been videos where we do. So like I've done videos behind the scenes of like a porn set and shoot that I was actively an actor on. Like I was being sexually explicit in the sexually explicit video, but in the behind the scenes, it's just people being people doing their job and communicating Mm -hmm. and using consent and negotiation and like showing the set, which is this, you know, dungeon or this alleyway quote unquote, but is really just a a set. And like those videos, and I think are still fully monetized, fully monetized videos about porn, not videos showing porn videos about porn. But then the second that I talk about the porn or the second that I contextualize the porn as a gay person who has done porn, is when those videos get age restricted because it's inappropriate to talk about your experience. So mm-hmm. it's such an interesting balancing act to, that to this day, I still don't know what, what I can show. I still don't know what I can talk about because it's unclear. Mm-hmm. And the only times I ever see that, that immediate ding or dollar sign, you know, for a YouTube creator is when we put context to it as a gay person who is also kinky, like it's okay to be yeah. kinky, but if you put a, an identity, maybe asexuality or gay or bisexual, or, you know, immediately that becomes too sexual for whatever reason. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting odd. because I think you have to have those conversations when you talk about BDSM, because mm-hmm. for a lot of people like being ace or being gay or being lesbian, like that affects maybe the parts of the BDSM community you're in. It affects your interests. It affects how you have your relationships. Like at all, like all of that matters a lot and you're not allowed to say it. And it seems to depend on like either the visuals aren't okay or the things you're saying aren't okay. Like for example, I did a video recently on vampirism and I know the reason it got dinged was because I had a five second clip that was from the Dracula TV show that came out like in 2013. And it shows the Dracula character wearing gloves and like putting hands around a person's throat before he bites them. And I know that's what led it to be demonetized. Mm. Even though it's like, I'm literally talking about like why people find that like erotic and appealing is because of that like sensation of power and like loss of control. And that demonstrates that feeling. But apparently 
that wasn't okay to show it visually, even if I was like saying the words that went along with it. And then I've had the opposite happen as well, where there's no visuals in the video at all. And then what I'm talking about isn't okay. So it's just a complete crapshoot. What will pass and what won't. Maybe we should put on a G string and dance around a Coachella, like certain beauty influencers who have also been accused of sexual assault and are still put in my promotional feed every day, even though I've blocked them. I, I wish I was joking about that one. Thanks, YouTube, for putting James Charles in front of everybody, even when he's blocked. Anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> I found that out the other day just because I re-blocked him and then he was mm. gone off my feed the following day, even though I had blocked him twice then. Um, he shows up in my stories again. He shows up in Recommended again. I'm just like, I have this person blocked. Like, what are Do you, you doing? Not- yeah, yeah, YouTube, Why? Like, especially if I was, and this, this is kind of the the point where I was like, this is ethically is not okay. What if I was a person that that person had preyed upon and I blocked them for my own, not only mental health, but safety. Now you're putting them in front of my feed again and and making them accessible. That's so, Mm. that's scary from a a survivor sort of perspective and yeah, unrelated to today's topic, but like further, further problems with YouTube and just contextuality. Mm Um, so like, I'm curious, what other kinds of censorship have you run into uh, off, off of YouTube? Like, do you run into problems with Instagram or, or Twitter even mm. at times? Uh, Twitter, I've never had any problems with. I don't share images on Twitter. I pretty much just mm. rant about, uh, politics and then yell at YouTube on Twitter because that's the only way sometimes to get their attention. And that's primarily what I use it for. So Twitter has mostly been okay. Uh, Instagram I mostly browse on there now. I don't post a lot uh, just because I had noticed that it had, it had gotten really, really bad for the people I know uh, that are sex workers and use Instagram mm-hmm. as a platform, especially after Facebook purchased it and really started like hammering down their own guidelines on Instagram. I decided I wasn't going to invest in that as much as a creator anymore. And I still interact on there. I have people that I DM with that are fellow creators that are on Instagram, but for the most part, I just have decided to walk away from places that sort of reach a certain level of non-support for the people that I care about. Absolutely. Because I don't need Instagram for income. I don't, it's not part of my, I mean, it's nice to have people be more aware of when I'm posting videos or for Q and A's and things like that. But I was like, well, like it's already so restrictive of the content that I do make. And actually I think there were a bunch of old posts that I had had on Instagram that suddenly got flagged like years later that they took down. And I was like, well, like that was just me like in a normal outfit. And then like talking about the play party I went to wearing that outfit in, and I guess that's not okay. So like, what can I talk about on there? That's part of my life that I share with the public. And so I just sort of decided to move away from that. Uh, but most of the censorship I experience, uh, actually Patreon is an interesting one. Mm. Um, as something I've experienced, uh, I think a year or two ago, they updated their policies around not safe for work creators, which would you yeah. know, be people like me, because I do videos that are more demonstration focused on Patreon because it's safe to post those there. And I had an issue where they, made it so as a not safe for work content creator, you can't do personalized rewards because they were afraid that people Mm. would use them to make like 
private cam shows and like pornography and stuff because that's against their terms of service, which I think, you know, I understand why they're doing that because they've had issues with payment processing in the past. And I get it like as a company trying to, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I know that it's really difficult because a lot of these problems ultimately end up going back to like credit card processors and banks more so than always the platforms themselves. But uh, I had one person on the Patreon staff that was like convinced I was making pornography, <laughs> even though I had never, I'm not even like spoiler for my Patreon content. Um, I'm never fully nude at any of the videos I make or any of the photo shoots I've done. Like there's no genitals out. Like it's always like, at least covered a little bit, even if insinuated. And I never use any of my one-on-one content to do anything involving anything shirtless, sexual, anything like that. It's literally just like, I call and talk to people and we have a chat, like we're old friends and I give them advice and they tell me about their day and it's really fun and wonderful. And they were like, well, you could still be using it for this. So you have to, I had to make a whole second Patreon Uh. account just so I could offer people the rewards I was already offering. So that was completely out of nowhere. And I had been making that kind of content for years and they were telling me well it's actually never been okay to do this and i'm like but i've been doing it for four years and i've had (sighs) multiple people from patreon review my account review my content and before they already said it was fine and then i get one person who's a hard ass about it and suddenly it's not fine like yeah thanks and that one was really serious because it was like probably 30 percent of my income like came from people that had those types of rewards and i had to completely change my structure of how i ran my patreon after that so that one was really serious actually but does lead the question of like how censorship actually affects creation of stuff like Mm -hmm. i know that patreon cracked down on a bunch of people that did like hypno stuff or even furry art because it was you know coercive quote unquote or too sexual or didn't include consent or had people that were underage and like i'm always here to protect those that you know are underage or or can't consent but like when it comes to things that are fantasy versus reality Mm. and also things like hypno where there are people consent it was just the weirdest thing to crack down on like hypnotism or people that were creating files to help people relax or even if it was erotic hypno because it's not something obviously that people are trying to like people want to keep their 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 platform so they can make and continue to make the, the money that pays their bills as mm-hmm. i'm sure you ran into with something like patreon yeah so it always it always just baffles me that we can't trust people that are just trying to to make a living and look mm-hmm. at context and have conversations because the second that you get a real person on some of these issues it gets it gets dealt with even with youtube mm-hmm. when you have a real person that's finally looked at you know the full demonetization of your channel, which we've gone through multiple times. You've gone through multiple times it magically. Oh, well, it, I'm so sorry. It was a, it was a problem on our algorithm end or, Oh, it got flagged incorrectly. And like that happens, but maybe don't gaslight the creators and, you know, lie to us in the process of us just trying to make this ecosystem work where you guys make money, we make money and everybody gets to learn, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I've had that. I've had that happen where I think I've, been demonetized and remonetized two or three times at this point on YouTube. And whenever it gets to be a real person, they are always like, oh yeah, no, you're fine. Here's this thing that gets enabled again. Great. And then I just know it's going to happen again in like a year. It's just going to, every year I get my my annual YouTube review. But with Patreon, it's <laughs> funny because I have had very opposite experiences. I did have that person that was just like, they weren't like anti-kink. I just think they were confused, like how you could talk about BDSM and not have it be pornographic, mm. which if you're a vanilla person that's not kinky, I understand that potential for confusion. I've also had other people on the support staff 
when I've had issues with uh, videos not rendering properly or like posts not going through and they find my content and they're like, hey, this is amazing. Like I'm going to join like your Patreon on like my own like personal account, like Aww. people that find my content through working for Patreon, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting how it's like a problem of scale, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm sure YouTube would prefer to have people well, I hope they would like manually reviewing everything. So that way they don't deal with as many complaints, but they can't do that because there's what, like 7 billion minutes of video that get uploaded to YouTube every hour or day or something. So they can't do that. And when they make even small changes to that algorithm, it completely alters so many people's livelihoods or their channels or even what content people are seeing, even if they are subscribed to channels. So it affects both viewers and also people that are making content for YouTube as a platform. And it's just just amazing how much power they have, even with like a tiny twist of the dial, how much that can alter things. Oh, agreed. Or just trusting creators that ask if they can, you know, do something better and how they can do that. Like, and not, not surprising to anyone. Like I know certain creators that are a bit higher up than we are that have yeah. managers on YouTube and get timestamps whenever there's something in a video that's inappropriate before it goes live. But the second that you or I ask for that kind of usability, we're not seen as important enough or trustworthy yeah. enough to have that kind of factor for whatever reason. Um, and then to further de-incentivize us, not just monetization of videos like you, me, Lindsay Doe, and a number of other sex positive or sex educators don't have access to things like a merch shelf, which would highly like, I I don't know about you, but like every video we post, we're probably wearing a a shirt of our own and people are always in the comments. Like, I love your shirt. Where'd you get it? Like Mm -hmm. if there was a merch shelf under our video or we could literally show the stuff that we're wearing, we'd probably be able to like actually pay our bills a bit easier and better and not have to like, you know, coercively like try to promote ourselves. Um, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever gone through that issue as well? Yeah. So really quickly to touch on that last part about yeah. uh, like having a manager and having somebody review your content, like that is very discouraging because I have asked many times, like when something does get taken down or something gets flagged, like I want to know like, Hey, did something change? And it's always just bots or like, I'm sorry, I don't have details for that. And we do just want to be able to make content and hopefully do it within the guidelines. And if you don't tell us what it is and you're only having something reviewed by bots, and then when we do eventually hear back from a real person, all they say is like, we can't help you. Like, why would we want to stay on this platform when we can move to somewhere else that's going to be more friendly to our content, or at least like have more people that have answers available. But for the Teespring issue, I was there at the very beginning. I think I saw it was maybe Philip DeFranco or somebody that was one of the very first people that ever got a merch shelf. And I was watching his channel like pretty actively at the time. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I already had a Teespring because I started one, I think a couple months before. And I went through their whole guidelines for like how you could get this new feature with YouTube enabled with monetization. And I talked to the Teespring people originally, and I had them review my designs to make sure everything was okay on that end. Because, you know, when you do have stuff that's like, uh, not necessarily explicit, but like is obviously like alluding to BDSM. It's like, yeah, is this going to be okay? And like they, they said, yeah, all that's fine. We're like completely open to all that like language and everything else. And on their end, they saw that I met all the requirements and just 
basically said like, hey, everything on our end looks good. Like it looks like you meet all the requirements, like just email YouTube and they get you set up with that. And so I went through after that, like months of emailing with YouTube support people and sending them screenshots because there was supposed to be a feature on your creator studio where you could go to a certain setting and then you would see like the ability to enable this feature supposedly have not seen it to this day. And I kept being like, well, I'm supposed to have this feature and I have 10,000 subscribers. I'm uh, monetized. Like I have an ad sets account, like I have all these things I'm supposed to have. I don't remember what all the guidelines were at this point, but I met all of them and they were like, yep, you meet all of them. And they kept telling me, well, it's still a closed beta. It's still a closed beta. And they told me that for years that it was a closed beta. So they weren't offering it to everyone, even if you met all the requirements which made sense until now it's been years and I'm pretty sure it's not a closed beta anymore. And I just don't have that feature enabled and probably never will, even though, you know, I love making Teespring designs and I love having that feature. I know you guys have so many awesome designs and I'm wearing one right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Speaking speaking of, of wearing them in videos, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that is like what I consider to be an arbitrary punishment for the kinds of content that you make, which is mm-hmm. not explicitly against their terms of service, but is in their purview to do because I guess for whatever reason, they're worried that you're going to misuse the tool to like, I don't know, put a picture of bare women's breasts on like your merch shelf or something, even if they have no reason to suspect that, that you would actually do that. They're like, well we can't trust people like this. And so they don't give you the feature, which is just really, really nasty. Yeah. Yeah. No, you and I have both been eligible for it since almost three years ago. Now they announced it. Um, And I had a very similar experience back and forth in emails, which never go anywhere because it's half the time. I don't think it's a real person. The other half, they don't actually try to help. Um, But for the two and a half, three years that I was like, Hey, when, when are we able to get this every single time it was, we're rolling it out slowly. It's, as you said, it's a beta. Um, and then one of my emails, I'm like, this person started their account a few months ago and they have 10,000 subscribers, but they have a merch shelf and the items in this merch shelf are like kind of inappropriately marketed. Like they, they're like, it's this gaming channel. It's very perverse, but like, you know, it's a gaming channel and they're like, Oh, well we're rolling it out shortly. And I'm like, you've said this for literal year, like three years. Can you, can you explain why we don't have it? And they said, Oh, actually let me look into it. And they came back and they said, well, due to the nature of your content and the predominantly not advertiser friendly content, you won't get it. And I just said, so <laughs> that wasn't in the guidelines. three years. Yeah. I don't know. And I said, where are yeah. the guidelines for this? And they said, well, I can't provide that information for you. Cause it's, it's in our system and we can't do that, but I can let you know that you won't, you don't, you don't have access to this, this feature. And I was so, like, I was just living. I was like, okay, well, then just tell me this two years ago. Like, the merch mm-hmm. the merch shelf, like, and people listening probably don't care as much. But, like, you get a certain, like, kickback with Teespring as well if you were selling stuff mm-hmm. through YouTube. So, like, it's helpful to do it that way. And it's just so frustrating. Years of, like, possible help to monetization that they've already cut in half for your channel. Like, that's the stuff that we go through on a, a daily basis trying to just create content and, and mm-hmm. be subtle with our fun sexy tees that we'll never be able to sell on youtube just because yeah we talk about the sex but mm-hmm. all that all that aside um i do want to end today's conversation with just some questions from people if you're cool yeah. and down with that yeah, i appreciate sure. not only being able to like express our combined frustration with platforms that don't take us seriously but just 
appreciate you for your education, your candor, your, your <laughs> ability to continue pushing through. Cause I know how much effort and mental strength that takes with a platform like YouTube or even Patreon. Um, which is funny because the first question I have here from Miss Jennifer asks, what changes would you like to see in the kink community on YouTube as a viewer and as a creator? Oh, interesting. As a viewer, uh, I definitely like watching more people talk about kink. I am always on the lookout for new channels and new creators because I like having more people that I can recommend to others that maybe talk about different subjects that are maybe into like the gore lifestyle or ABDL or something that I am not an expert in by any means. And I'm always looking for that. So I would love to see more content creators in general, I think is a change as a viewer, but also like, I want to see people's thumbnails. I want to like be notified when somebody <laughs> posts a video. There've been so many times when I've like assumed your channel is on a break or my friend, like Brittany's channels on a break because I don't see your videos for months. I'm like, Oh, they must be busy. And then I like have found out I've missed like four videos and I just haven't Same. seen them. Yep. And as a viewer, that's very frustrating as much as it is being a, a content creator. And I think one thing that I think is something realistic to ask for that I would like as a content creator is just having, if something does get demonetized or gets dinged, like having actual direct feedback from an actual person that says, this is the thing that was wrong. This is why I got taken down. Here's what you can do in the future. Just like make things more clear. And I promise we will try our best to either work around it or correct it in the future. And isn't that what you want as like as a platform as well? Like you think YouTube mm -hmm. would want more stuff that they can fully monetize as opposed to just like digging it and then running away into the forest and not telling you what you've done wrong. But I guess they just don't seem seem to care. Agreed. Well, then on a lighter note, uh, the next question from Tara says, what's been a topic that, oh, wait, what has been your favorite topic that you've covered so far on YouTube? Oh, um, I have sort of two answers for this because they're two very different things. I think the thing I'm the most like proud of doing is the Marilyn Manson content because, um, you know, I won't go into it here what it's exactly about, but Marilyn Manson has been accused of a number of things and there have been very few people that have chosen to cover it because of the nature of the subject matter and also because it does involve a lot of very horrific things and talking about kink and how people can use that as a shield in the matters of legal defense and I am very happy that I have been able to continue covering that even when after sort of the initial headlines of like wow big salacious thing is happening like I'm still able to talk about it and still making sure people are aware as we're now getting into that slower part of the process where, you know, they are going to be in court maybe for months, for years with so many different legal battles happening and hopefully showing people they either have experienced abuse from him or have had negative experience with him that people are there to support in particular with that, but also victims in general, survivors in general, showing that there is a supportive community that will believe them, that will hear them and hoping maybe in some small way to like, foster that kind of mentality across YouTube. Uh, but for like fun content that I like making, um, I think the video that I did actually hasn't come out yet, but it's about 1950s household role play. Very excited for that video to come Ooh. out. It's been as a preview on my Patreon for like the last month and I had to move it around for a couple of reasons. But that one I'm very excited about because it's sort of, I like niche kinks. I like talking about things that I know people are into, but like 
there's no book on well maybe there, there kind of is like 1950s role play you can read like household management books from like you know the mid-century like, that is sort of a genre but in general like it's a kink that people have but it's not like flogging like you can't like go take a class on it usually and being able to offer that kind of information I very much enjoy and also get to kind of nerd out about the research part of it so those ones are always really fun to do Oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and not to, to talk about myself, but we did a video recently with like puppets and like history and I oh, had a really yeah. good time because I got to make puppets, but then mm -hmm. like that video did fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. It, the review that came back said it was because there was nudity and female breasts in the thumbnail, but the thumbnail was a puppet. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I know for a fact, no one saw it. I felt so bad for the, the sponsor for that episode, but they were like, especially understanding cause it was a sex toy mm -hmm. sponsor, but they were just like, Oh, we loved it. I am sorry. It did bad because then the videos after that all performed normally. Cause it was like a meme review or something silly yeah. that, that wasn't informational, didn't require any research. Uh, so I, I feel the love for that. Um, Ooh, I like this question, uh, for a number of reasons, but this one from Kelbo asks, what is it like being a puppy player who isn't a guy? I feel like the scene is sort of gay leather in origin. So is that alienating in any way? Um, you know, it's funny because especially at first, I didn't even realize that it was necessarily like considered to be a gay men's only thing because getting started in my local scene and then also like on Instagram, you saw every kind of person like the first party I ever went to it was like a pet player and little's night. And like there, there was like a guy dressed as a raccoon. There was a raven. There was like foxes and dragons. Like it was every possible combination. So I got a really good introduction of like, it can be anything you want it to be. And there like are no rules besides like consent and staying within boundaries and limits and all that good stuff. But as I got more into puppy play in particular and researched more, I did realize obviously the origins of it and that it's important to remember that and respect that. But even in my local community, again, going to things that are like local moshes, for example, where it is usually organized by like a local gay leather group, like the the president or like the person who organized the events for a long time was like a male pet player that was a cat. And then like we, like the, the local winner for um, our regional um, handler and pup for the year, like the first years in the community was a female handler with like a pet papillon. And like, mm -hmm. so I've always gotten to see kind of how it's not just this very restrictive thing, but I think that's so dependent on where you're kind of coming into the scene from. And obviously other places are going to be more restrictive, but I've just always had really positive experiences where I've never really had to confront that directly other than like just finding my own personal confidence to be me as my puppy self in spaces that are like 95% men and knowing that I'm allowed to be however I want to be. And I've, I've always had, again, just like emphasize it. I've always had really good experiences and I don't think I've ever been directly told I'm not allowed somewhere or not allowed to do something because of my gender presentation or the way that I play or because I'm, I'm not a gay man in some way. I'm glad that your experience has been that way. Cause mm -hmm. I know I get questions uh, like this a lot, obviously not directed at me, but more so like, Hey, I am a femme presenting or trans or non-binary. Am I allowed to be here? And I'm like, well, of course you are. But like, I get that, that feeling of needing to ask for permission, which I don't think should mm. have to be a thing, but because you see a community that appears to be very male dominant, 
cis gay male dominant specifically for puppy play in a lot of cases because Twitter. But like, I'm glad that your experience was not that um, because I know that there are a lot of people out there that, that do experience it that way. Even at the convention that we were at this last weekend, it's a Mr. International convention, but mm. so many of the people in the convention itself that are running or organizing are not cis men, like yeah. not cis gay men. And so I'm just like, Oh, that's so frustrating. Cause like, even in, I did like a travel video of it years ago when we went and I was like, there, there there's trans people here and there's women here. And like, there probably aren't non-binary people, but you can't always tell obviously. And I was just like, they're right there. And even then people are like, wow, this is an, a men's only event Ugh, for shame. And I'm like, no, you're allowed. Please come. So thank you for being not only a representation, but just doing your best to educate people and be visible because sometimes that's half of the battle is just people that are able to share their experiences. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that. at the end of the day, no matter what YouTube does, like as long as I can be out there and be visible in some way, because I know particularly either being a female pup or being an asexual kinkster, I've I've had people on videos like, hey, if if you're a fellow asexual kinkster, like put a purple heart in the comment. And I, I, hundreds of people were like, I'm an asexual kinkster. And I didn't know it mm -hmm. until you talk to me and I've had months on Patreon where like everyone I talk to is like, Hey, I think I might be asexual or I meet people in my local community who are like, Oh, what's sexual. And then they find out they're like, Oh, I just thought I was like a prude this whole time. They realize it's an identity and you know, they may be in their forties, fifties, older than that. And they just had no idea. So that representation is so important. And I'm really glad I can be that for other people because it was really important for me as well um, to see the older kind of generation of sex content creators on YouTube, like Lacey Green, for example, was really mm -hmm. important to me when I was getting started. And now that I can kind of do that in a different way for other people, I'm like, yay, more people Aww. are knowing who they are honestly and authentically. And that's always the goal. Well, I think that that's kind of the perfect place to leave it then. Uh, restrictions and, and hardships aside, thank you for being you. Thank you for fighting that good fight, being representation, but also just being a level-headed person that comes to the table, asks the questions that need to be asked and provide facts behind the things that you educate with. Um, I think to this day, my favorite conversations that I've had with you or, or been a part of, or like the kink at pride conversations where people are literally like, yeah. but asexuals. And meanwhile, you're on the panel myself as a Demi person who is like, you know, on that spectrum is also like, uh, we're here, we're queer, like, mm -hmm. and asexual people exist in kink which you know what another segue is something i think we might be touching on on the podcast that we will be doing on your channel a little yeah. bit so yeah. if you can remind people where to find you um so that they can go listen to all the things watch all the things and just enjoy the lovely content that is evie lupine where can they find yeah. you yeah uh, i'm very lucky in that all of my urls are basically the same i am evie lupine e-v-i-e-l-u-p-i-n-e on Twitter, on Instagram, on Twitch, and on YouTube. Come on, brand consistency. Yeah. You can find me everywhere at uh, Pup Amp. Uh, and then what's the safe word is everywhere minus podcast where it's what's your safe word because we're trying not to confuse people too much, but that's beside the point. Evie, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, I'll just let you have the last word. What, we, what, what do you want to leave everyone with? Ready, go. Um, I hope you all have an amazing weekend and get a chance to discover something really fun that makes you feel just very connected with yourself. Oh, 
I love that. And we'll see y'all next time. Bye. <laughs> Cut. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bathroom break real quick. Yeah. The weather is clear now. I just experienced every type of weather going on in the background while we were doing <laughs> that. It went from like sideways rain to like now it's clear and sunny. So I'm hoping we will not have any kind of problems. But yeah, potty break, get some water. Um, and then we'll do my half of this thing.